Queries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. This week, we are once again diving into the Marvel Universe to talk about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, although, as I'm now realizing it now from how it is pronounced in the movie, I believe it is Shang-Chi. Is, did I say that correctly? Um, welcome to my guest, uh, Emily Wheeler's back. Thank you, Emily, for being back. And um, can you please either yay or nay my pronunciation of this titular character's name? <laughs> well, um, thanks for having me back, Jesse. Um, always glad to come back and be on this with you. Um, I've had a lot of fun doing it in the past. Uh, I don't know if I'm the correct person to go to for a pronunciation of, I believe these are Mandarin words. Um, I'm not 100% sure on the language. Definitely not English. And English is really the only language I speak. So am I the expert? No. But I remember from the scene, because there is a scene in the movie where they kind of go through the pronunciation that it should be pronounced like the name Sean, at least yes. at the beginning. So it should be Shang chi from what I can tell. Yes. So... This is obviously our second MCU movie this year, and after we've gotten three TV series, I don't know about you, I've I've been a little, I was a little like MCU burnt out going into this movie. I think I was very lukewarm on most of the, the, the TV shows that we got this year, and then um, if anyone wants to go back and listen to the conversation Christy Strauss and I had about Black Widow about a month ago um neither of us were really that that into that movie and i think we're somewhat disappointed as a whole um but i actually ha came out having a mostly really fun time with this movie um were you familiar at all with this character going in i i think from some research that i did afterwards shang chi is a character that mostly came out was mostly popular in the 1970s kind of when you had this big martial arts boom at the movies and the character has been somewhat revived recently but is like a very 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 minor marvel character that really kind of the the peak of his popularity was mostly kind of in that period in the 1970s were you were you kind of familiar at all with this character I was not. I was going in completely cold turkey on this because, I mean, I try to keep up with the MCU. I definitely right. haven't seen every MCU movie, and some have been 10, however many years ago at this point that I have not seen them in a while. Particularly the first Iron Man movies, I never went back and revisited them, so I yeah. barely remember those at this point. Um, and as far as comic book characters, I mean, my knowledge really only exists from like early 90s saturday morning cartoons <laughs> yeah when i was that's... a kid so like shang chi definitely did not make any appearance in any of those that i remember and basically my knowledge of most of those is like i'm aware of batman i'm aware of superman i know the x-men pretty well because i remember that yeah that comic really well show yeah I'm, um, I'm kind of the same way with like when i talk with like friends of mine or people i know who are really in the comic books and it's like my knowledge of the marvel universe like really only extends within like spider-man like that's what i was really into as a kid so like if if a care if i know of a character it's only because it they just like came into the spider-man <laughs> universe that i was obsessed with and same with kind of like dc and batman stuff of like i obviously knew who superman was but of like most of the like dc characters i only would know of like in the context of like being obsessed with batman as a kid so i'm I'm kind of in a similar boat of you of like my my knowledge of these two universes only sort of extends within like the immediate circles of like two characters basically that's kind of what makes uh both what the mcu have done and what they have to continue to do kind of interesting because they really are servicing two very different uh mm. audiences they really are trying to make these and they have successfully made these basically the biggest blockbuster franchise of our time, which means it has to appeal to everyone and not just American audiences, but to audiences around the world. So you're, they're having to make these movies both for people who like most audiences, I think are going to be like us and really didn't know most of these characters at all. And they're basically serving as a total introduction, but then they've, they're, they've also been very conscious about also building the MCU into what it was on the backs of those hardcore comic book fans who do know everything going in. Mm -hmm. So let's maybe get into this, this movie specifically a, a bit. 
Um, like I said, it sounds like we both quite enjoyed it. Um, I would say I really enjoy the first two thirds of it. And the last third, I think I kind of lost my attention somewhat. Um, the You know, this is a movie that is very heavily inspired by a lot of martial arts cinema, um, a lot of cinema from, from Asia. And it, I mean, it features Marvel's first Asian, <laughs> um, you know, primarily Asian cast um, and first sort of like, leading hero of that who is asian um and i really i i think this movie works best when it is sort of like leaning into those influences and i think it's got some of the best fight scenes and choreography out of any of the marvel movies um i don't know about you i i kind of a hot take i'm i don't even know if this is that hot but i don't think the action scenes in marvel movies are that good and that's as someone who, like, most Marvel movies, I think, are, like, okay to pretty fun. Like, like mo- I think at this point, like, Kevin Feige and everyone over in that division of Disney, they have figured out kind of, like, a, a down-the-middle formula for these movies to where, like, they're not going to fluctuate in quality that much. Like, the, at, at best, I think they're, they're very fun. And, like, at worst, there may be something like Black Widow that's just, like, that wasn't a train wreck, but that was just kind of, like, forgettable. Um, But it sort of caught in that. I think, like, the action scenes can seem a little dull and a little, I don't know, they they seem very kind of, like, there's always the the weird stories you hear. And it's hard to tell, like, how much of it is true versus how much of it is not that it's just like directors are primarily brought in to kind of like work with the actors and the personality and kind of inject some some little extra into the the one-on-one scenes but then like there's some team of like digital artists that's just doing all the action scenes here and for most of this movie i would say that the action scenes are a lot more kinetic and a lot more fun to watch and a lot more visually stimulating than I'd say 90% of the stuff you get in the Marvel movies. Would you agree? That was kind of a long winded like <laughs> road down to that gives my whole thoughts on the MCU, but uh, essentially of being like, I, I think most of the action scenes in this movie, like I said, I think we can get to the last third later, but I, I think for an hour, hour and a half, however long this movie is it, it, I was like, pleasantly surprised at how um much fun i was having i'm basically in the same boat as you i was really into this movie for the first yeah probably two-thirds of it uh i think it's a really strong movie at that point and then i think the mcu formula and particularly what you were talking about like how they staged that like big last action scene Mm -hmm. falls back into that formula and it's just become a little stale especially Mm -hmm. in how they stage it I kind of had to have a running theory about why their action is so just kind of I lifeless isn't the right word, but uneventful. Like I'm yeah. so disconnected from it. It doesn't make me excited at all. It doesn't do anything. Like I'm not particularly disappointed in it either. I just sit there and I'm like, this is doing nothing for it, me. It feels economical is what is what I don't know why that's the term that comes to mind, but it just sort of feels like, you know, here here is kind of the like base middle of like it, it it is sort of like comprehensible maybe comprehensible isn't the right term because it sometimes is a little confusing to watch but it's just like this is like the base like competently made sort of like cgi action scene but it doesn't always have that kind of like extra oomph to it mm-hmm. and it isn't always the clearest to follow or the like most kind of like visually dazzling it's just sort of like it kind of feels like cutscenes from a video game sometimes, or it feels like there's so much kind of like light show happening around you that you're a little like, I don't know what I'm looking at, but like, sure, this is fun, I guess. I, I will stick up for video games just a little bit because I literally was just playing The Last of Us Part Two okay. again. And I was like, those those cutscenes and action scenes are intense. <laughs> now I'm not a big uh I'm not a big video game person, so I can't speak to a lot outside of that. I know a lot of them are very uneventful. Right. But for that, that those games, cutscenes and the action is pretty brutal. But I kind of have a theory about why the MCU has really stagnated, particularly for me. 
And it really does come down to the action. I think there's two core problems here. One, they are holding to a PG-13 rating, Mm -hmm. in the US at least. So they're getting a rating so that everyone can come in. So their action can't be too brutal. Mm Mm-hmm. So that kind of puts them in a corner on how much they can do. And they've kind of just gotten repetitive on what they can get away with and still get that rating. Mm-hmm. So I think the like few things where they kind of started mixing in, I think they particularly started mixing in a little bit better action, probably around Winter Soldier. Yeah, they had some I would, pretty I would, good action yeah. starting to go. And then they've started to repeat themselves a lot. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of the issue. And then the other issue is kind of that they're not very good at actually explaining powers. They get very vague on those sorts of things. So half the time, I think the reason that some of these battles, I can't make sense of what's happening is because I don't actually understand what all of the powers do and what their limits are. This was a common complaint with, I think when Christy and I talked about um, the WandaVision show and I kind of had to be honest with her. I was like, so what's, what's scarlet witch's deal like what's her thing because like it's been almost a decade and i'm not quite sure like what what she does yeah i mean scarlet witch calls it falls into kind of the the classic that not just the mcu a lot of superheroes have fallen into this movies have fallen into this trap of just saying magical brain powers and right. it kind of just means anything <laughs> yeah like they can do anything so i'm like well, why isn't she just taking out everyone? Because I think she's actually the most powerful character in the MCU, from what mm-hmm. I can tell. But they haven't really made clear what her limits are outside of sometimes she falls in love and gets sad and mm-hmm. can't fight. And that's kind of how they limit her. And it's like, okay. Yeah. So kind of to pull us back to the movie, I think one of the reasons the the fight scenes are so much more electric here is it's a lot of hand-to-hand combat. I mean, as as mentioned, this is in the tradition of martial arts movies. Um, there's a lot of great kind of legends of Asian cinema who pop up in this movie. I mean, I, I think we have to talk about Tony Leung, who I think kind of steals the movie in the entire time. I was just like, he he plays the, the villain in the movie who is also the titular character Shang-Chi's um father um should probably first like pull us back to like what did you think of um simu liu did i pronounce that correctly i hope i pronounced that correctly that's that's how i pronounce and have always heard it okay so So, uh, it probably bring us back to like what did you think of simu liu who's uh plays shang chi and is the lead of this movie and i think in kind of an unusual move for marvel is he's kind of an unknown i think to most audiences i think he was on some canadian tv shows and i believe someone told me recently he was on a few episodes of fresh off the boat um the abc comedy series um but i had never seen him in anything before i think he does like a lot of stunt work um and a lot of martial arts uh so he he clearly has a physical presence but Typically, the MCU, I think, likes to bring in these kind of, like, well-known movie stars and well-known movie personalities. And this was, I think, kind of an interesting gamble for them to pick someone who most people do not have a relationship with to play a character most people do not have a relationship with. So, I mean, what did you think of him kind of stepping into this, like, much, much bigger role kind of at the center of a giant Marvel Disney movie? I mean, I think they were absolutely right in casting someone who has a really good background in kind of uh, the fight sequences he was going to have to do. I think he proves very capable at doing all of the action sequences that he's asked to do, which is important on the one hand, but I also greatly enjoyed that he came in and it was really good bouncing off of Aquafina. So mm, She's kind very of fun here too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're talking about we really enjoyed the first two-thirds of the movie. So the first two-thirds of the movie is mostly... Um, Simu Liu's character, Shang-Chi, and Aquafina's character, Katie, sort of start out the movie as in kind of a ridiculous version of San Francisco in that they are <laughs> apparently just like, they're apparently um, just, uh, I forget the name for it, but just park cards for everybody. They're, they're uh, valets, they're and valets. he somehow has a apartment. <laughs> with no roommate and all he does is park valets in san francisco yeah i got very distracted but i was like okay we're clearly in san francisco they're just valets he has his own apartment no that would not be happening (laughs) and it's like a dingy like um garage apartment but even then i was still like 
I don't know. That'd be like thirteen hundred a month at minimum for just like uh, this one room apartment that is clearly like a garage that has just been renovated. Like even that would be probably <laughs> absurdly expensive for what it's worth. Yeah, that's my understanding of how San Francisco is right now. Like, there's no way the valets or anyone working, uh, basically customer service, right. can afford to live in in San Francisco, in, San Francisco. in <laughs> any way. Um, but beyond that, I mean, basically it starts out with those two characters are valets and they're basically these like slackers in their, I think they're supposed to be maybe in their late 20s, early 30s. I can't An- quite Another weird question I was going to ask because <laughs> there, there's a, a there's a Gangnam Style joke, if you remember that kind of like weird K-pop crossover from the, the early 2010s. Um, and I was like, that doesn't matter. How old are they supposed to be? Would that song have even been out for like this joke that they're making about like when they were in middle school or something, it was a weird nitpicky thing to to bring up. But while we're kind of like making fun of weird little details in the the first part of this movie that we really enjoyed, I I had to bring that up because I was like, wait, how old are that that song came out? Like I was in high school when that song came out, <laughs> right? I mean, I was picking up on these things too, obviously, and I'm kind of nitpicking, but I'm kind of nitpicking because I. I mean, yes, they're technically mistakes or things that you can nitpick at, but I was kind of, it kind of made me laugh with the movie. Yeah. Basically because at that first part where these two characters are establishing themselves, like they have really good rapport. They really bear yeah. build this very nice friendship between these two. And I honestly could have spent more time just hanging out with those two kind of getting to know them. This is an MCU movie, so they have to speed it up. So what happens with basically the next part that I think both of you, you and I both greatly enjoyed is that they add in, uh, similarly is kind of long lost sister comes mm-hmm. into the picture and I think she's really a great character too and just they yeah. form this great trio that is just really winning to watch um, so I mean I was really happy with the fact that this movie spent a little bit more time particularly in the beginning with establishing characters and establishing relationships between these characters that I actually believed and wasn't just like how I often feel about the MCU of them sticking to people together and just having them make jokes yeah, and I I think part of that is we should probably you know note that this movie is directed by Destin Daniel Cretton. Um, most people probably know him for I, I would say Short Term Twelve. I mean he's he's this is I think his fourth movie. He typically does like these very very small little indie movies. I mean even his last one, Just Mercy, which had you know stars like michael b jordan and jamie fox in it but but it's still like a very it's a courtroom drama but it's still like a very very small tiny kind of intimate movie and i couldn't help but think of like what what you're talking about of like there's a lot of great um rapport between these characters and there's real attention paid to kind of the the family dynamics between shang chi and her his sister and then their father who is kind of the their estranged father played by tony leung the kind of iconic hong kong movie star i mean if you if you don't know who tony leung is just some context like is is to hong kong cinema what like i don't know george clooney or brad pitt like like think of who kind of like some of the like big outsized movie stars here in the u.s like he is that um to cinema over there and he is the the villain of the movie and there is this complicated father-son dynamic going on and that's really something it feels like Destin Daniel Cretton was, was sort of brought on to kind of add that and to kind of add this um this much more nuanced I think than a lot of Marvel movies family dynamic and character relationship more so than even even you know in the best action sequences i feel like that kind of family dynamic is more of what he's sort of bringing to the the material and i think helps um elevate certain sections of it a little bit absolutely i mean i i was really curious going into this movie because i know you know people have been talking about how marvel has started hiring like really quality directors to see what they can do in phase four. That is kind of a departure from the kind of directors they've picked up in the past. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the uh, attention for that really landed on Chloe Zhao, particularly since she won an Oscar. But I was really curious about Cretton as well, because I've followed him 
I think Short Term 12 is an amazing movie. I don't know if you yeah. much better. Like, I think it's a near perfect movie. I, I haven't seen his second one, and I admittedly was not a fan of Just Mercy, but I, I do think Short Term 12 is like one of the stronger indie movies from the last decade. Absolutely. Um, his second movie was The Glass Castle. Um, it is a bit of a misfire. They could not figure out the structure of that movie. It's mm. it's a like kind of based on a true story, and they have to cover like Brie Larson's like 20, in that as well, years. right? Yes, that okay. was the other thing I was curious. I was like, I wonder if Brie Larson got him in here because he she was also in Just Mercy. Yeah, so she yeah. has literally been in his last three movies. So I was right. like, mm, you know, there's some connections there. Um, and the other. The other director I think that's getting overlooked that is, I, I think next year her movie is coming out, but Nia DaCosta they also mm, picked up. That's right, yeah. Um, we we Hunter Hellman just, and I just talked about with the, the Candyman episode last week, right. if anyone hasn't and, listened. Yeah, and they picked her up before Candyman came out, mm. so they were really just going off of her first film, which is a movie called uh, Little Woods, which I think is really underrated and people should check out. It's a really good first feature. Um, so, I mean... Marvel is moving towards possibly maybe paying more attention to characters like Cretton is doing here and making sure that they are actually building those characters better than I think they had basically that they had been doing the entire time. I've never been impressed with their character work throughout the entire MCU so far. Mm -hmm. So for me, the fact that, you know, Cretton really built characters and character relationships and these family dynamics that feel real and not just kind of jokey buddies and these people actually care for each other and then he's able to integrate that into like literally those dynamics into some of the action scenes that also makes the action a little bit better mm -hmm. particularly the first action scene you get which i think is one of the best is on a bus oh and yeah it's kind of like it's it's one a great action scene because you have this dynamic where it's simulu's character and aquafina's character uh Simu Liu's character suddenly just gets attacked and he starts fighting and clearly knows what he's doing and Aquafina's like what because she knew nothing about this so right. you have this dynamic of her being like shocked but then also like the bus driver gets hurt somehow so she has to take over which ties into the fact that they are ballets so she mm. actually has something to do in this fight like there's little things like that that, have, that are added because they're paying attention to the characters and these action scenes that I think also really add a little pep to them yeah and I think there's also a kind of age old um you know great uh strategy of let's get these kind of like great very known like veteran actors with a lot of gravitas i mean to kind of bring it back to um i i really do think like aside from the action the strongest stuff in here is the stuff between simu lu and tony leung and their relationship and just i mean tony leung is just such a great actor and has such a like incredible movie star presence that it just the entire time i was just like you know at we've been doing this since like the late 80s but like or no even longer than that i mean like i rewatched the first halloween movie a few weeks ago and it was like yeah you bring on donald pleasance because he's just like this like total pro and can give this kind of like silly pulpy movie like a, a a weight to it and a seriousness to it and that's what tony lung's able to do in this movie and you know i don't know that it's i don't know in anyone else's hands this would be like that notable of a villain role um i mean like i i'm someone who kind of believes that a lot of the marvel movies have a villain problem um probably like the best they've done is killmonger in black panther is probably like the best written villain and then otherwise you have stuff like i mean thanos is is close to there i think in some of the complicated kind of theological aspects of thanos um and you know kate blanchett's having fun in thor ragnarok but that's more of just like a movie star just going full camp yeah um, not just camp but it's yeah fun. yeah <laughs> it's, it's fun camp but i mean this is another like great example of like a total movie star coming in and and just sort of like taking a part that might have been a little kind of meh and a little sort of disposable otherwise but making it this like really effective 
complicated villain character. <laughs> um, I don't know. He was just like the best part of the movie to me. And then, I mean, you also have, um, I mean, Michelle Yeoh comes in. There's so many kind of like great actors of Asian cinema. There, there's another person who, if this is a little bit of a spoiler, but I will just say a, a very well-known actor who appeared in a previous Marvel movie comes back in a sort of surprise comedic role in this movie. And that there's, I, I think Cretton knows when to kind of hand it the movie off to these pros and like, let them kind of like bring this gravitas and bring this kind of like professional seriousness to the movie that doesn't, doesn't strangle it. Doesn't make it, feel like i don't mean seriousness in like a brooding dark way but of just sort of i think grounds the movie in a very like relatable emotions and you just sort of feel like you're in capable hands if that makes sense absolutely um i actually have a theory about uh tony leung's character that it is underwritten from having seen it first oh, i was yeah. like this is actually a very like this is a very basic character but like everyone's responding to it really strongly and i do think it's because tony leung is just yeah. such a great actor that he totally makes those agree. emotions feel like they have more depth than they really do have right. narratively. Like it's a very basic character. And I kind of, I feel like everyone is freaking out about Tony Leung. Rightly so. He gives mm -hmm. a great performance, but he is working with very limited material. So maybe, yeah. you know, don't go into this with like, you're about to be blown away, away by this no. hugely tragic arc of his character. No, like, no I don't, no, no, no. I definitely don't <laughs> mean it that way, but of, of just, I a thousand percent agree with you. And just like, I think this would be like, this on paper is probably like another pretty disposable Marvel villain, but I think it you, you are being you are handing it over to like one of the great movie stars of the world who just has like a totally unique movie star presence, and it's it's able to carry and kind of like elevate this role that I think, like you said, probably would other we would otherwise be like I don't know, it's just another like what's what's his deal kind of like which is always the the thing i have with like every marvel movie with like the villain is just like i don't know what's what's up with this guy like why does he want to do this one of, one of the uh critics in my uh critics group that i'm a part of has literally made a letter uh, a list just ranking mcu movies by daddy issues <laughs> Is this number one? <laughs> yeah. Number three only. What? But I was thinking, like, in the middle of the movie, I was like, she's going to rank this super high because this is basically just a daddy issues movie. I'm, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, I guess there's some daddy stuff in, in Black Panther. I mean, Black all Panther, the Iron all Man movies. All of Guardians of the Galaxy oh, are okay. all daddy issues. <laughs> yes. Okay. Guardians 2 definitely has to be number one. And then, yeah, I think that's number one. I, I don't know. Can we tie all the, the Iron Man stuff? Like, there's some, some daddy issues going on in all those movies. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, kind of my point with that is, I think this movie is rightly getting a lot of credit for really changing up what the MCU has been doing, but also in a lot of ways, I don't want people to think that this is like such a hard right for them. They no, are following not. some really basic formats, including the daddy issues at mm -hmm. the center that is very familiar to this universe that really still makes it feel a part of it. But what I enjoyed basically about it is that versus a lot of the movies we have been getting recently in the MCU, which was tied into this kind of big ending with Thanos so that everything had to feel huge. And then you went to Black Widow, which still couldn't quite let go of that like super serious tone. And I think just right. got messed up tone wise because of that. This really allows itself to more or less exist on its own. I think you mm -hmm. can really watch this without being totally up to date on the MCU, which is yeah, kind of nice so to go back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, maybe this is a time to kind of move into some of the stuff that didn't work for us with the movie. Um, I I think I'm going to try and not give super clear spoilers, but, we, you know, we will kind of have to discuss the last third of this movie. So, like, if you're just like anything is it, 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 it constitutes a spoiler, then please come back after you've seen the movie. But I don't know if we got to talk about where this goes in the last third, which um, I, as you kind of hinted that it kind of has to go back to this Marvel formula of like this big kind of CGI heavy um, action ending that um, where like the, you know, the fate of the entire world is in jeopardy. And 
I thought a really interesting point was made. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen, I've, you know, referenced him multiple times on this podcast. This guy, Patrick H. Willems, who I think has done like some great video essays on YouTube of like the strengths and weaknesses, both from a filmmaking standpoint and storytelling standpoint of a lot of the Marvel movies. And he had a tweet recently that he was like, I, th- I think he, he like us, I think enjoyed Shang-Chi, but said that it would be, an infinitely better movie if it cost about like half as much, which is to sort of say that like this movie is really fun and really effective when it is um, this more kind of like bare knuckle martial arts movie and where the conflict is between people. Now, granted, like martial arts movies there, like that doesn't mean it has to be like super, super grounded and there can't be fantastical elements. Like, there, there is in martial arts movies, but this movie does sort of take a turn from like kung fu action movie in its first two thirds to kind of like high concept fantasy in its last third. And I, I, I just did not go with the movie when it sort of switched to an all out fantasy movie, and when the the sort of action conflict went from kind of like different kung fu factions like fighting each other to all of a sudden like we need to fight like dragons and like what looked like flying face huggers from alien or something like that of of just like it there's something just fundamentally less engaging and less kinetic about watching someone like punch like a cgi creature versus like seeing two people engage in this like balletic like mind mind-blowing um fist fight before your eyes where you just can't believe some of the choreography um was that kind of like your issue with the movie i just sort of felt like when it switched to that fantasy aspect in its last third i was like it doesn't need to go that like the movie has been so engaging and so good and it's worked so well as a, a a kung fu movie for its first two thirds and like i don't i don't need us having to like punch dragons and stuff like that in in its last third and of just sort of like that there's just something to me that was just like less visually engaging on that level than seeing tony leung or uh simu liu like beating up dudes on a skyscraper or something like that i 100 percent agree i mean yeah, as I alluded to earlier, you get into the kind of last third of the movie and all of a sudden the movie totally switches gears. And even in that gear shift, there's this like 10 minute period where I feel it just spins its wheels and everyone just mm-hmm. kind of sitting around being sad. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. And then it just gets super generic after that. And I was like, no, it's lost kind of what's making it really great to me. Right. And I mean... I have mixed feelings about where this ended up going. I think that outline actually, I, I think where it takes it really could have worked. If yeah. kind of, as you were saying, this guy, this this YouTuber, I think you were saying, I'm not familiar with him, but yeah. was kind of pointing out like, don't make it this big CGI battle. Like it, still it, keep it, it smaller, yeah. but like this idea and this concept of what you're trying to throw out as the narrative, I think still could have worked. I think they just yeah. blew it up thinking that we needed this huge action scene when in reality, like, all the action scenes that came before it were way more exciting than that. And quite frankly, way more easy to follow. Cause at one point there's just like two characters on a CGI, like just totally CGI screen. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to care about or where they are or what they're supposed to be doing right now. You can (laughs) still have the same arc that this movie has, which I, I think is, is pretty effective, but have, you know, the final battle is, you know, it's, it's the same kind of like, hand-to-hand combat stuff or even have like i don't know go full um i I don't know you can have like a bigger battle go full wuxia and have like these big like balletic uh, action sequences um and between like armies of people or something like like I i don't care you know what i mean like like have like a bigger like battle scale kung fu fight or something as opposed to kind of like I it felt like it was almost 
Like there's such a necessity for these movies have to like reach a certain scale and cost a certain amount. And so it was like, in order to justify it, we need to have it be like, oh, they have to all of a sudden at a certain point, like fight monsters and stuff like that. And and that just yeah. felt, it felt like an unnecessary addition in order to sort of justify a certain budget level, if that makes sense. When like, like you were saying this, this totally works if it's just like, any other kung fu movie and it's just you know it builds to this like great showdown between shang chi and his father which it kind of does but then in the context of like monsters are flying around and then all of a sudden there's like a cthulhu monster or something like that that comes out of the ground right i mean there, there's a long history of back and forth with kind of martial arts movie and uh westerns mm -hmm. uh, and kind of the, those formats have really like the narrative structure of those have really mixed over the years and really fed into each other and i think there's a long history in both of those styles of like you have this final showdown and that's your big ending and as you were just saying like really what we needed was just a final showdown between uh shang chi and his father that's mm -hmm. all we needed and then they added in all this other stuff that wasn't needed and i'm kind of curious because where the ending kind of started losing me and where i actually started getting confused is a common problem i have with the mcu and one i've already mentioned i never quite figured out the powers of this movie i didn't quite understand mm. what the ten rings powers totally were like there were some vague references to like Obviously, it lets the father, whoever has it, live a long time. Got that. Mm -hmm. But then what in battle do these Ten Rings actually do? Because they seem to just kind of like shoot them out of their arms and that's it. But I'm sure there's a lot more to it that I wasn't following that it right. can do. I, I was sort of fine with that in just sort of the way that like, I know going back and here in a little bit, we'll talk about some other kind of adjacent movies to this. But just in the way like the the different powers people have in kung fu movies at least to me like it, it's not always super spelled out and clear but it's just sort of like all right you just have like some this is just some sort of special move or something so in in that way i sort of didn't mind that but maybe it was a little bit of just like i don't care about creatures so then when like you know for me the kind of switch to like oh no is and it's weird because they they mention in conversation like they're trying to get to this valley where like mystical creatures live. And for some reason, and I don't know, it was when the, um, I keep wanting to call it the butt creature. Cause it just looks like, like a, the like butt of an animal with wings kind of walked around the corner and like met the characters. And I was just like, Oh no, 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 come on guys. <laughs> we don't, I don't, we don't need this. And also what is this? Like, come on. Did someone like, <laughs> Was someone like on a deadline and they were just like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like the, the butt of a, sh of like a, a gopher, but it's got eagle wings. I don't know. And then this, just like turned is, it in. Yeah. I mean, the description is going to make it sound creepier than it actually is. But the way I thought of it is like, it's just like a winged dog, but like, there's no head. Like the head is just a part yes. of the body. I was like, that's basically, I was like, it, the way it acts is very much like, like a dog. It, it's very friendly. And I know I've heard a lot of people complain like you that like they hated when that appeared. I personally liked it. I thought I it was like a cute I, little fuzzy thing it's, that it's, just kind of runs in and is cute and makes a few jokes and then runs off. And like, there's a certain amount, like there are a lot of funny like moments with it. I yeah. will agree. Like there's no like funny there's, as I'm saying, like there's no head. Cause like the head is like a part of the body. So it doesn't really talk. Like it doesn't really make a lot of noises. So you get a lot of like almost silent comedy, like physical comedy with it that I thought was also a nice addition since you're having such a physical movie in the fights. Mm -hmm. Like I thought it was a nice balance there. And I thought, and I thought they, brought it in and then got rid of it very well like they didn't keep it hanging around and getting in the way yeah what i do think unfortunately in the last half of the movie did start getting in the way is they had to keep aquafina relevant in some way and oh, I just, uh -huh. like that didn't work for me that was too fast i was like mm -hmm. they needed to find like something that wasn't so contrived to get her like still involved in the last battle well let's maybe have a little bit of a conversation on some kind of like adjacent movies that if people like shang chi and i think both you and i are pretty much on the same page about this movie i think we would encourage people if you're at all interested in seeing it it's it's worth seeing even though i think both of us don't feel like the the last final act of the movie quite um i don't know d d it, it it becomes sort of unnecessarily bloated in a way um but I don't know about you. How how familiar are you with kind of like martial arts cinema, kung fu cinema, 
I was not very familiar other than maybe like I too have seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon <laughs> or like a couple Bruce Lee movies when I was a teenager. So I, I gave myself like a bit of an, uh, a probably not expert level, but let's let's just say like, uh, you know, moderate education for uh this podcast and kind of going back and watching a lot of movies that I'm, I'm sure were inspirations for different aspects of Shang-Chi. Yeah. I'm definitely like, don't come to me if you want knowledge about martial arts movies. Cause <laughs> yeah. that is just not my forte kind of probably as you can tell, like I can rattle off Dustin, Dustin Daniel Cretton's previous movies, but boy, I can't write like, those are more my yeah. style of movies versus like the hardcore action movies. I just kind of get, I find they're a little repetitive and boring. Like, I'm the kind of person who watched The Raid and was just like, eh, didn't really yeah. care. Like, I can tell it's well-made, not my kind of movie. Right. <laughs> I was like, I think if you don't have any response to The Raid, those are just like, martial arts movies aren't your thing. <laughs> well, I know you definitely wanted to speak a little bit to, like we talked about, about Tony Leung and, you know, rattling off some of the great movies that he was in over in Hong Kong. I mean, I, I guess the shortest answer I could give is like, Josh Martin and I did a really fun podcast earlier this summer about Wong Kar Wai because there was that great Wong Kar Wai box set that came out and like Tony Leung's in a bunch of those Wong Kar Wai movies and so if you haven't seen any of those like and like you want to see like what made him such a big movie star over in Hong Kong like just run through the Wong Kar Wai filmography because it He's in just about every single Wong Kar Wai movie, except maybe like two or three of them. Yeah. And I mean, that was basically going to be the direction I went. I was like, if you, if this is your introduction to Tony Leung, go back and watch Wong Kar Wai movies. I think a very good place to start is In the Mood for Love. Mm. It is, I think, probably one of his most famous movies. It's Um, it's probably my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, I think it. I think it's a very good entry point to him because some of the thing you have to be careful with with uh, Wong Kar Wai is that sometimes they those the narratives can be a little elliptical and they can be a little uh, episodic and that mm-hmm. can be a little hard to come into. I think in the mood for love is a little bit more straightforward with its story. Tony Leung is the lead in that. If you cannot tell from the title of the movie what it is about, <laughs> it is as a lot of Wong Kar Wai movies are about falling in love or having some sort of romance involved. Um, as a lot of people are responding to with Tony Leung, even in Shang-Chi, um, he is considered a uh, very sexy man. He's, he's hot. Yeah. Josh Martin and I definitely like noticed when we talked about this movie on the Wong Kar Wai episode that it's just like, it's 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 tony leung and maggie chung who are just like very hot people like like really attractive people yeah and like wong kar wai loves to indulge in just things being very sexy and he's very good at stylishly setting that mood and i'm not saying like it's not distasteful or anything i mean it it is it is a very sensual style of movies and very deeply felt style of movies and they are very very good so definitely go check out everything tony leung can do i think you can get a really good taste for it by going to wong kar wai and i would recommend starting with in the mood for love yeah so maybe some i'll i'll rattle off just very quickly some uh martial arts movies um kind of different categories i would say like you know the first is the sort of like wuxia style of martial arts movies you know these are typically like period pieces they have these very like balletic action sequences with lots of um wire work um you know probably the most famous of these is ang lee's crouching tiger hidden dragon um sorry i'm typing in something into (laughs) google to search for someone's name in the meantime, I will throw out my only other recommendation I have, and that is one that is actually on Netflix that came out just a couple of years ago. It's a movie called Shadow. Oh, uh, I've never is, seen this. It is a very like kind of elegant and beautiful martial arts movie that just someone had recommended to me as like one of the best foreign language films of a couple of years ago. So I checked it out and was like, I'm not into these movies normally. This movie is beautiful and the action is still very good. But I was like, definitely it is on Netflix. I'd recommend checking that one out. Yeah, so I mean, kind of um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, as as I mentioned, probably a great kind of like first place to start. Um, I'm always kind of amazed, like reading back, like that movie was a big hit in 2000, 
like and is a foreign language film and is a martyr you know it's a kung fu movie and was like a big hit at the time and was like nominated for a bunch of oscars including best picture which is crazy but i I think that's like a good introduction point a couple others that are kind of in this same subgenre would be some of zhao yi mu's movies like house of flying daggers or if you've ever never seen hero which is just like one of the most gorgeously beautiful movies ever made in terms of its use of color um if you want to go back a little bit further there are movies like um dragon inn and a touch of sin which are both directed by king who these are movies that i i think are kind of like the uh the sort of birth of this kind of subgenre of kung fu movies as i understand like a t- so a touch of zen, a touch of zen is you know if you enjoy um crouching tiger hidden dragon touch of zen is kind of seen as like the big inspiration for that movie and i think was like the first ever chinese movie to win a prize at the Cannes film festival um so if if you enjoy kind of that aspect of martial arts movies i would definitely say check those out um, we talked a lot about the great bus fight in this movie that to me, I, I thought a lot about um, Jackie Chan's police story movie, which I watched for the first time this year and I'm not kidding. It is one of the greatest action movies I've ever seen. It is insane. Like imagine that whole, this whole, if you've seen the Shang-Chi, imagine the whole bus scene in this movie, but it's a real bus going down the road and people are like flinging out of like hanging out of windows and are like climbing on the moving bus and stuff like that's the kind of action scenes in um this this jackie great jackie chan movie it, it is just like all the action scenes in there are so fast and there's so many like moving objects and jackie chan i think has such a, a great understanding of like how can I use just like props and stuff around me to incorporate in the action sequences? So it was like picking up magazines and umbrellas and stuff. And like that, all that is getting incorporated into the fight and it's very slapsticky and has kind of a like Charlie Chaplin or B- Buster Keaton, I think is a great example. I mean, th- that when you think of Jackie Chan, think of like the Hong Kong Buster Keaton, essentially. Um, and then of course we got to talk about Bruce Lee a little bit with, movies like um fist of fury and enter the dragon a little bit more of like brutal fist to fist combat in there um you know a couple other really good ones i i caught up with this past week uh included the 36th chamber of shaolin and once upon a time in china once upon a time in china starring jet Li, who another person like western audiences are probably like yeah that guy who just like shows up in action movies sometimes but is like a giant star over in china and i think like watching this movie that i believe there's going to be a criterion re-release of it coming soon um is just like oh yeah that totally makes sense why this guy's like a giant action star over in china and like here in america or in hollywood movies people give him like nothing to do or like weirdly cut up his fight scenes to where you can't understand what's going on um i don't know that's that's kind of just like a really quick rapid fire of a bunch of movies but um i i would say those are kind of like great places to to start and i'm obviously like not an an expert in kung fu movies but it was fun seeing like a bunch of these like different subgenres and stuff um but yeah i would i would certainly the one i probably have to press the most is like if you have not seen police story it is just like it i like have you have you seen it emily i have not i i again like i know that like jackie chan is a huge blind spot for me but my understanding is like his movies are exactly what you're describing there's this very good mix of comedic action in most of his movies yeah i mean even the that movie i think the ending credits is behind the scenes stuff and like watching the behind the scenes you're just like so people were coming like inches away from death making this entire movie and stuff like that. I mean, it, it's the, so wild. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing I know about Jackie Chan is like, he's hurt himself a lot, yes. very badly making movies. So like, 
he gives it his all. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, well, any last thoughts on either kind of like martial arts cinema or Marvel movies or Shang-Chi in general before we kind of wrap things up for this episode? I will say the one thing I want to mention about Shang-Chi that I think is getting a little bit overlooked is the uh, work of Menger Zhang, who plays mm. his sister, who I think is one, very good. I've never two, seen her before, think, honestly. Exactly. I don't think a lot of people realize this is her first movie. And what? On, <laughs> on IMDb, her only credit still. She does not even have like another thing that's in production. So that is, when I found out this is like, hands down her first movie, period. Wow. She just comes onto the screen and like she has that presence that like a movie star needs. Yeah. And honestly, the other issue that it had this this movie that we haven't mentioned is that like, it kind of fell into that issue of like, why isn't she in charge? Like, I mm-hmm. think she's more capable at this point than he is of actually like taking charge of a group and leading it at this point in her life. So like, uh, I was very impressed by her work. I, I liked what they were doing with their character, even if it did kind of throw off the power dynamic between her and her brother. Right. Um, but uh, I, I, I really hope she keeps getting roles and I keep seeing her again and again. Yeah. She's, she's she's good in the movie i'm surprised this is her only act i i i was sort of expecting that she was maybe going to be like a bigger star over in like china or hong kong that i just like had never seen before but um that's surprising well emily thank you uh again for stopping by this week um you're going to be back here in a couple weeks um we're going to have a, a very fun clint eastwood episode um and talk about the the man the the myth the legend um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, it should be an, an interesting exploration at one of the biggest movie stars of the last 50 years who, as a filmmaker, I have um, complicated feelings about. So that'll be fun to unpack. Um, and then next week on the show, uh, Hunter Howman's going to be back because he insisted on talking about uh, Malignant, the new James Wan horror movie. And uh, I'm going to ring his arm to talk about the card counter and... The, the wonder of Oscar Isaac. Uh, so look forward to those episodes in the coming weeks. <laughs> <laughs>